Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. Wake-up call 058 it is well. You're listening to the Faith for My Generation podcast, and I am your host and friend and fellow Bible studier, AJ. Hey, I'm so glad that you're listening today. Let's get right into it. We're going to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture, most of 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37, and we're going to see what faith looks like, how faith acts, what does faith look like in a life being lived out in that moment? Like, what what does raw, real faith look like? We're going to see a couple different things here in 2 Kings chapter 4 with Elisha and the Shunammite woman. Let's read. In fact, I'm going to read a couple chunks of Scripture. We'll do a couple verses and work our way through it through this portion of 2 Kings chapter 4. All right, let's do it. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting with verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, a great woman, a wealthy woman, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him, Elisha, to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look, now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came and he turned into the upper room and he laid down there. So what we have is the prophet Elisha. Of course, Elisha was Elijah's uh, protege and and um, came after him, I guess you might say, an heir to that ministry and anointing. Um, I'm reading through in my personal daily Bible reading. I'm actually just finished up First and Second Kings and I'm, I'm working my way into First Chronicles. And uh, I, I actually have today's wake-up call and another episode that's coming from Second Kings chapter 5. Uh, but when I was reading through this portion, I saw what real raw faith looks like. But before we get to this example of what real, raw, living, visceral faith looks like, I want us to work through a few points before we get there. The first thing I want you to see is this. The Shunammite woman, uh, Shunam is a place. So like, uh, I guess you might say, I am a South Carolinian. Not might say, I am. I live in the state of South Carolina. Uh, wherever you live, you would be wherever you live, Indian, South Carolinian, <laughs> American, uh, you know, English, British, South African. I guess English and British, that was redundant. Sorry about that. Sorry to all of my uh, uh, cousins out there, <laughs> or, or partly so. Well, I, I guess I'm a mixed breed, English and Irish and in German and Cherokee and a little bit of everything in there. But nonetheless, wherever you live, that's that's what you would be called, right? And so the Shunammite woman was a lady that lived in this area called Shunam. Uh, 
she and her husband are very well off, very wealthy, very wealthy people. Uh, we see here they own property. They have servants that are working the fields along with the man who's out working fields. We'll see that in a few verses. But they have this the home uh, that they live in, and she, the Shunammite woman, persuades her husband, look, this man Elisha, I've been feeding him. I persuaded him to come in the first time I met him to come in. She was being hospitable. And I persuaded him to come in and sit and eat with us so I could provide food for him. So now whenever he comes by this way, traveling through by this way, he always stops to get food here. And um, I want to build him basically an apartment. And so they do that. They build Elisha, the man of God, an apartment. They, they, they build this upper room on the wall. And when you begin to study out the context of this Aleah, or Leah, this Hebrew word concerning this apartment really is what it is. It, it, in fact, my wife and I and, and daughter, we, we just went down to Georgia uh, last week to attend several nights of a revival camp meeting, and we stayed in an Airbnb. Uh, the Airbnb that we rented was basically a finished apartment over top of someone's garage. It was It was beautiful. Uh, and it was actually uh, more cost-effective than staying in a hotel. And we had like a kitchen and a full bathroom and a full living room. And we have it, we had out, outside access. So when we pulled into the driveway, we just walked around the garage and walked up to the backside uh, of the garage, up a flight of stairs and into our apartment. Very much like Elisha stayed in and very much like what the Shunammite woman and her husband built for Elisha. Now, what I want you to see is a couple things because it's going to get us to where she got and received the desire of her heart by faith. This Shunammite woman and her husband, they were hospitable. They were welcoming. They were kind toward Elisha. Now, specifically, it's because she sees that he's a prophet. She says, truly, she, this, this man is a man of God. She says that in, in verse 9, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Now, there's a, there's a couple verses in the New Testament that talk explicitly about being hospitable, being kind. 1 Timothy 3.2 tells us that bishops or overseers in the church, they should be hospitable. They should have this characteristic of being welcoming you know, if you're in ministry, you should have a spirit that welcomes people. Now, just Christians in general should have that spirit, but especially those of you that are listening, the faithful, you that serve in your churches, and I know that many of you listen do because you're the faithful. You're, you're doing the things of God and being about the mission of the kingdom, which oftentimes means you're working out a ministry in your home church. And so you should be hospitable. You should always be open-armed, and, and ready to receive new people, to be kind and merciful toward people you know and people you don't know. Let me tell you something, just as a practical note, as a pastor, something I've learned, but even more so just serving in the church before I even came into full-time ministry. A smile, a warm welcome, a hug, a handshake will go so far. I mean, it will go miles further than you could imagine when someone comes and visits you or visits your church for the first time. If you're working in youth group, you know, teenagers, they're kind of awkward. You know, I was awkward. I was really awkward when I was a teenager. <laughs> really awkward. 
I cannot stress that. And so when I would show up at youth group, if someone, if if the, the youth leader there was like, came and gave me a hug and shook my hand, like, dude, yeah, your hair, awesome. That made me feel so welcomed. Uh, and and you, you cannot imagine, really, I can't imagine the depth of how much that touches someone's heart and their mind and their emotions when they are welcomed, especially in church. Should, there, there's no place, really, I, I can't think of any place where someone should be more welcomed than in the house of God. And I want to encourage you, when you go to church and you're, you're being part of the church and you're part of the faithful, so I know you're, you're the tip-top part of your church congregation, your church family. You're always helping and serving and giving. Always Be that person that's always smiling, that's shaking hands, that's hugging necks, that's loving on people, because your joy and your hospi- hospitability, man, that's a hard word to get out for me, you being kind, I like that better, your kindness will go so far. It will go really, really far to impact other people. In fact, in fact, what we've, there's studies that are done by Pew Research and Barna Poll that do these studies and poll people concerning the church and church world. Uh, it's like 80-some-odd percent of people say that they will come to church if their friend invites them. Why their friend? Why not the local pastor? Why not a radio advertisement? Why not a reel on Instagram or TikTok? Why not those things? Though a few may come because of that, but why such the larger majority of people, why do they come because a friend invites them? Because it's someone they know. It's someone that's kind toward them. It's someone that they have a relationship with. And this woman developed a relationship with Elisha. Now, Hebrews 13 verse 2 says this, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Right before it, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. As I mentioned, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 8 both give instruction as well as Hebrews 13 2, that we're to be hospitable, we're to be kind. Because, hey, for all we know, we may actually be entertaining angels angelic messengers. We actually may be entertaining angels. We actually may be entertaining people that, not just people, but servants of the Most High God. And so we're to always basically be on our up and up, always be aware, right, of who is coming before us. And this woman was aware. I just want to add this as as well. Look, it's not that we lift up people or make people like superheroes uh, in the church, I'm not saying that as an as as if like some people talk to me like this, and even I, as a young pastor, it, I, it, I mean I'm a young pastor. I'm making that point. I, I have a lot to learn, but sometimes people will come up to me like, "Well, I know you're a pastor, so I want you to pray because God will hear your prayers." I had a I had a gentleman just tell me this the other week, and immediately I said, "You need to have faith in your faith. You need to have faith in your prayers." And he kind of looked at me strange and chuckled. Faith in my faith? I said, yes. I said, you need to have faith that when you pray, God hears you. Because who am I? I'm no different than you. The foot, of the, the foot at the foot of the cross on Calvary's heel, it is an equal playing field. Now, you and I, how we live our life, will greatly determine the authority, the responsibility, the blessing that we receive from God, because we're going to see this, God is a rewarder. 
And He rewards us based on how we live and how obedient we are to Him. It's just that simple. We see that theme all through Scripture. But with that being said, God shows no partiality. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Romans chapter 2, verse 10. God doesn't pick and choose and play favorites. It's not like, you are pastor so-and-so, you are youth leader so-and-so, you are evangelist so-and-so. I will hear twice as many of your prayers as the little peon, you know, pew warmer, normal Christian. No, God doesn't play that game. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul makes that point. It's called sectarianism. That's just a real big theological word for saying clicks. You remember the movie with Lindsay Lohan, Mean Girls? And they had those cliques in high school. Like they had the Mean Girl group, but they're, they're super cool and everyone wants to be them, but they're also really mean to everybody. <laughs> they had a clique. They had a group. They had like the, she wanted to be a part of that club of girls. Well, sometimes people do that in church, and there's no place in church for that. There is no place in church for cliques, for little posses and groups. There's no place for that. But with that being said, again, I've, I've made a strong foundation of where I'm coming from. With that being said, God ministers through men and women. The anointing, the Spirit of the Lord, the preaching of the gospel, teaching of the word, leadership, that's done through men and women. That's done through people. That's done through the body of Christ. So, so there's a balancing act taking place here. As Paul made that point in 1 Corinthians 3, he's saying, look, I water, I sowed seed, Apollos watered, or vice versa. I can't remember exactly one of the two, but I'm, I'm watering, Apollos is sowing seed, but God brings the increase. So it doesn't really matter whether it was me that brought you to the gospel or Apollos or someone else. It doesn't matter. God brings you the increase. So he's making the point, like, who cares? We're just all laborers in the master's house. We're just wise master builders building up this building called the body of Christ. And, and so that's what Paul's making the point there. Like, it, it doesn't matter who does it. We're just all laborers. We're all fellow laborers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 um, tells us, Paul makes that point. By the Holy Spirit, we're just all fellow laborers, all part of God's garden, all part of God's building. But with that being said... God still uses people to minister through. And I have found this. It is a, it's just something I've come to terms with and something that I learned actually from Pastor Gene Langerfield out of Fort Worth, Dallas area, Arlington, Texas, Faith Christian Center. And he made this point. You know, if I want to show kindness to the Lord, I have to show kindness to Him by blessing His people. And, and it's really that simple. You know, what did, what did the Lord Jesus Christ say? And in fact, I want to turn there to Matthew chapter 10. Notice this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, 40, 41, and 42. Matthew 10, verse 40. And he who receives, excuse me, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Verse 41. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man, in the name of a righteous man, shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, 
he shall by no means lose his reward. So what is Jesus making the point there in Matthew chapter 10? If you want to, if you want to receive Christ and you want to receive the one who sent Christ, God the Father, you receive his people, you receive his messengers, you receive his ministers. And so again, I by no means, I'm a pastor, full-time ministry. I'm by no means trying to lift myself up. Oh my goodness, I am, what, what is a minister? A, a good minister is like what uh, is said in the book of Luke. Having done all that was required of us, we simply return to our master and say, we, we're just simple, humble, unworthy servants because all we have done is what has been asked and required of us and what else should we do? Because that's what a servant does is serve. And so that's my heart and my mind. I'm by no means trying to lift myself up or lift up other men or women. But in that same breath, I need you to understand this. If you want to show kindness toward the Lord, you show kindness towards, towards his people. So, so listen here. Think about it. You've got a good pastor who loves you, who spends hours and hours every week pouring over the scripture studying the Word, giving himself to prayer, oftentimes taking those phone calls at 2 a.m. in the morning to come be alongside you or your family during a time of loss or tragedy or hurt or sickness, visiting in the hospital, sometimes visiting in prison. You know, a home burns down and pastor, your pastor comes out to, to a family and brings money and clothes and resources and food and a you know, blessing from the church family to help that family. Diff, diff, so many different situations. I'm thinking right now of my, my father who, who this year will have ministered for 41 years as a pastor. I'm thinking about all the different times where he gave of himself to the people of God. Why? Because that's what he's called to do. But also I think about like, yes, he's my father, but he's also my pastor. What can, I, what can I give back to him that would be of equality in what he has given to me in pouring out his life as a drink offering before the Lord, as Apostle Paul said? What could I, what could I, how could I repay him? He's given me his life through prayer, through the preaching of the word, for praying for me, for being honest, for shooting straight. Look, if you've got a pastor who will tell you the truth, even if it may make you upset, you need to thank God for him. <laughs> what about your youth pastor? What about your youth pastor who will honor you enough to tell you the truth? Who will love you enough to tell you the truth? What about ministers of the gospel who have, through their faithful obedience to God, through their teaching, they opened up revelation, revealed. They, they opened up a whole new aspect of the Word of God you've never seen before. But by listening to them... You got a whole new understanding. It's not that it was new, never been done before, but you never saw it that way before. What, what about men or women of God that have written down books or study guides or study helps that helped you understand the Word of God? How can I repay them? I can show them kindness. I'm always indebted to them, but I can show them kindness. And that's just the way I see things. I, I hope you understand where my heart's coming from. I'm not trying to lift up a man or a woman because no one, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that, no one will glory. No one will steal God's glory. Man can't do it. 
Man or woman cannot take God's glory. I'm not saying that's what we should do and create almost like a, a caste system, C-A-S-T-E, a caste system of like a hierarchy of people that God loves more or less. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I am trying to show you the very real revelation that's in Scripture that there are people who have given themselves to the work of the gospel. Think about it. Uh, let's just go with this, and, and then I'm going to move on because i got several more points I want you to see from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But think about this. Imagine you lived, in a, lived somewhere where you never heard the gospel. Well, we have last year we had over 11 nations tuning in to the Faith for My Generation podcast. So maybe you don't have to imagine this. Maybe you have grown up in a family, and none of your family are born-again believers. No one believes on Jesus. And the reason you are a Christian is because somehow, some way, you got connected to a minister of the gospel who preached to you Christ, and you got saved, and you received eternal life. Now, again, you and that minister, before the, before the eyes of God, you're equal. God loves you just as much as he loves that minister. But in the same breath, how grateful are you for that ministry? Because by way of that ministry, by way of their faithful obedience, you heard the gospel. And you got something no one could give you but God, the eternal life. But the way you got it was through a vessel. And that's the point I want to make. That's the very simple point I want to make. And I've learned to do this. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I pray you receive this with open ears and, and an open heart. When I got a hold of this principle, kingdom principle, it really richly blessed me in my heart through joy. But it also blessed me because when you sow a seed, it, it brings back a harvest. And so every time I have an opportunity to bless people, I'm thinking about a pastor that came a few years back to our church. The first thing he did was I, I just gave him a love offering. It, that's something my mother taught me years ago. She, to this day, if you're watching the video, you see me smiling real big. Uh, to this day, my mom, when she gives me uh, a, a birthday card, she always says, I gave you a little love offering in it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's just what she calls it. It's just a love gift. I'm sorry, a love gift, not a love offering, a love gift. And she'll put some cash in there, right? Birthday cash. First thing I did when I saw that pastor was I, I handed him a check. I was like, hey, I just want to bless you. Yeah, was it much? It was for me. Maybe not for him, probably not. But I just wanted to show some kindness to him. Like, I didn't know his schedule. If, if I could, I would take him out to eat. I just wanted to bless him. Now, my AJ's just saying that, so we'll send. No, I haven't asked you for anything ever. Not at all. I've not. But I'm going to tell you something. Like, if I want to bless the Lord, one of the ways I can show kindness to God is to show kindness to the vessel, to the ministers of the gospel that are faithful and obedient. You know, and the Bible talks about that, that, that workers of the gospel are worthy of du double honor. And, and, it's, and, and again, you know my heart. Uh, this is like the 137th podcast episode or something like that on the Faith for My Generation podcast. Uh, I'm not trying to create some hierarchy or be high and lifted up at all. But there's a kingdom principle in there, and it takes true godly humility to do this, but to, to look on another brother and sister in Christ and say, you know what, I see a gift in you. I see a gift of God in you, and I'm thankful for God putting that gift in you, and I want to bless you. Because what great encouragement is that when someone blesses you? 
they see the Lord working in your life, and they say, I see God doing something in your life, and I want to I bless you because I want to encourage you to keep doing what God's called you to do. I think that's an important aspect here because what happens when this Shunammite woman shows kindness toward Elisha? What is the immediate response from Elisha, the man of God? Now, this is Old Testament, so this is a... This is the the place of the prophet in the Old Testament is a very different ministry than the ministry of prophecy and an office of that ministry gift. Ephesians chapter four: Christ gave gifts unto men, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. It's very different than the Old Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophet we see, like in Book of Acts, Agabus, he was a New Testament prophet. Uh, I think was it. Uh, was Silas and Barnabas also mentioned as prophets, but Agabus, I know, was mentioned as a prophet. His ministry looked very different than Elijah and Elisha and Micaiah and Malachi and Isaiah. Uh, the, the office of the prophet in the Old Testament functioned differently. And, and in the Old Testament, the prophet represented the anointing of God. Let me go ahead and say that to make that clear. In the Old Testament, the prophet... He represented the anointing, the power of God. Isaiah 10, 27 says that the anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing is the power of God. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is the power, the flow, the life of God. And the prophet in the Old Testament, he represented that power, that mighty hand of God. Look at Moses. Look at Elijah. Look at Elisha. Elijah does so many miracles. Elisha asks for a double portion of that spirit that rested on Elijah. He gets it. And literally, Elisha does twice as many, to the T, twice as many miracles as Elijah. So much so that when Elisha dies, he's one miracle short. And it's just this little section in 2 Kings that's added in there. It's like, oh, and by the way, there were some guys who were digging up graves uh, or digging a grave for a, for a man who died, and they saw a band of raiders coming by. They got scared, spooked, so they tossed their buddy who they were digging a grave for into a into a tomb where Elisha's bones were. The dead man hit the bones of Elisha, and he and he was resurrected back to life. Like <laughs> it's just one of those peculiar stories in scripture, but true, it happened, and that that brought Elisha to exactly even double amount of miracles of Elijah. But these Old Testament prophets, they represented the anointing of God. So many cases, like in the case of King Saul, before he's king, his servant says, hey, let's go to Samuel. He's a seer. He's a prophet. Let's go to him. He can talk to God and tell us where these donkeys are because Saul was out looking for his father's donkeys that had gotten out and escaped. And so anyway, the prophet is seen as a, as a contact point to the anointing, the power, the wisdom, the knowledge of God. So this Shunammite woman wants to bless the prophet, which by default, we saw from Matthew 10, blesses God. The Shunammite woman receives Elisha as a prophet. Jesus says in Matthew 10, you receive a prophet, you get her prophet's reward. Okay, what is that reward? Verse 12, Then Elisha said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite woman. And when he called her, he, she stood before him. And she said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? 
Do you want me to speak to you on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So in other words, Elisha's saying, look, I can talk to the king. I can talk to the commander of the army for you. She's basically saying, no, I'm, I'm well taken care of. I don't need anything. She's wealthy. She just built a guy. She just built the man of God, an apartment, so that when he comes by every now and then, he can stay in it. And there's no Airbnb, so it's not like she can get a return on investment. It's not like she's renting it out when Elisha's not there. But she's, I dwell among my own people. Nah, don't worry about it. I, I'm taken care of. Verse 14. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. Maybe she was old. I don't know. Maybe Gehazi was being polite. She doesn't have a son, and she's married to an old guy. Maybe she's an old lady. I don't know. But, you know, either way, that was good, that was good common sense on his part, not to call her old, even if she was. <laughs> Verse 15, so he said to her, Calls her back a second time. Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. So she comes back a second time. Now notice, in the doorway, she's in that apartment. Elisha's in that apartment that she's built for him. Verse 16. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Literally, about this season as of the time of life. So in other words... The Lord's going to give you a son, but it's not like the Lord's not going to put the son right in your hands tomorrow evening. He's going to bless the system that God created of seed time and harvest concerning a man and woman coming together, conceiving a child, carrying that child, laboring, birthing, and bringing about that child, that nine-month, some-odd nine-month period. She said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. So in other words, she's like, you better not be playing around with me. You're a man of God, but don't, just, don't be just saying something. This is something she obviously desired in her heart. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the Lord Jesus tells us that we are to ask of the Father what we have need of. Is that Matthew 7? Let's, let's see if it's Matthew 7. I know Matthew 7 tells us to ask, seek, and knock. Uh, Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Uh, that, that's not exactly what I was looking for. Oh, verse 11. If then, being evil... You know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And that's not exactly the one I was looking for. There's a, there's a scripture where, where Jesus says, Ask of God what you desire because He knows what you have need of before you even ask. So therefore, ask. Oh, there it is, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Notice that. God knows what we have need of before we ask Him, Matthew 6. But then Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask. Because asking shows that you have faith in the one that you are petitioning or requesting from. You know, my daughter, she's two, she thinks I can do anything. Literally, she thinks I can do anything. So sometimes she asks me things 
that are naturally impossible. You know, I don't know. We'll be walking somewhere and like she'll see a bird up in the tree and she's like, Dada, I want to get the bird. Help me get the bird. I'm like, well, the bird's 30 feet in the air. I can't physically get up there. But, you know, maybe it felt like go get my father-in-law's Jenny Boom lift and drive it out there and lift it up, maybe. But the bird's probably going to be gone by then, right? But in her mind, I have no limitation. So she boldly asks what she desires because she thinks if I can just ask Dad, he'll do it for me. That's the faith we should have in God. God knows what we have need of. Therefore, because we have faith in Him, we should ask Him for it. I say that because it's interesting when this woman is speaking to Elisha first, she's like, look, I'm good. I dwell among my own people I'm taken care of. But it's the servant, Gehazi, that notices. Well, now look, she is well off, but there's one thing she doesn't have, a son. And so then when Elisha wants to show kindness towards her, she says, you know what? Because you've blessed me, and in turn blessed the Lord, and God will be a debtor to no man, no woman, the Lord's going to give you a son. And then she's like, whoa, wait a minute. Don't just, don't just say that because this is obviously something she desires in her heart. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, But without faith it is impossible to please God, for you must believe that He is, and catch this, you must believe He is, and a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God's a rewarder. When you, James chapter 4, draw near unto God, He will draw near unto you. So this woman showed kindness to the man of God and in turn received a reward. And that's just how it works with God. God's a rewarder. God, God will not be a debtor to anyone. So don't be surprised that as you continually obey the Lord and give your life, your time, your talents, your treasure, your energy, your abilities to the Lord and what He's called you to do, that He will richly bless you. It's actually against His nature to not bless you. God would, ha God would actually have to change who He is, which Malachi 3.6 tells us He doesn't change. Hebrews 13.8 tells us he doesn't change. God would literally have to stop being who he is for him to not reward your faithfulness. Verse 17, But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to a servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him, the little boy, and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door upon him, and went out. So this woman has a son, and obviously years go by, because this child, it says, verse 18, the child grew. The child's not old enough to be working in the fields, but the child's obviously old enough to go hang out and watch his dad work in the fields along with the other reapers. So who knows, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, he's just hanging out with dad, watching what dad's doing out there working the fields. And then he's like, my head, some, 
most commentators say, well, it's probably sunstroke or something like that. Nonetheless, something happened to him to where from the morning till noon, it happened so quickly that he dies. Now notice this is what faith looks like. This woman who got a son from the Lord, when he dies, she takes her son and lays her son on the bed that the man of God sleeps on. Now, the imagery I want, to, want you to see is this. Remember, in the Old Testament, these prophets, they represent the anointing of God. When this woman encountered tribulation, trial, heartache, loss, her son died. When this woman was in need, she didn't run to her husband. She didn't just break down and cry. She took her need, her dead son, to the anointing, to the place where the anointing stayed. Now, again, that, that's some imagery. That's some imagery we can see here because in the Old Testament office of the prophet, he's carrying the anointing. It, because Joel chapter 2 tells us that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Men, women, young, old, maidservants, men servants. But in the Old Testament, the, the, the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit rested on some, on a few. But in the New Testament, it is promised to all those who have faith in Christ. And so what we can see here is she took her need to God. Yes, it was the bed of the man of God, but she took her need to the place where the anointing resides. Verse 22, Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And, she, and he said, Why are you going to him today? It's neither a new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. It is well. That's faith. Her son's dead, lying in the bed, on the bed, in that guest apartment with the door closed. She's looking for, she tells her husband, send me a young man who can drive this donkey and carry me to the man of God. I'm going to go there and come back. Notice that. I just now saw this. Thank you, Lord. I didn't even see this in studying this. I may run to the man of God and come back. That, that's important. She says, I'm going to go to the man of God and I'm coming back. I'm going to show you why that's important. But her husband's like, why are you going to see the man of God? <clears throat> it's, not, it's not Sunday. We don't go to church till Sunday. Why are you going to go see him? <laughs> Obviously, it's Sabbath. It's Saturday. But that, that's what, if it were happening today, what you going to go to church for today? It ain't Sunday. It's not Easter. Why are you going to church today? It's not Easter or Christmas. <laughs> Some people only go to church on Easter and Christmas, right? Those aren't Christians. Those are Christers. <laughs> no, what, what, what are you going to church? What are you going to that for? Ah, don't worry about it. Everything's all right. All's well. Verse 24, Then she saddled a donkey, said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 25, And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, 
please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? Three questions. Is it all right with you? All right with your husband? All right with your child? And she answered, speaking to Gehazi, it is well. Well, she's lying. Is she? Or is she speaking by faith? Her boy's dead. But is she lying? Yeah, she's lying because she didn't say he was dead. Is it? Or is she, is she reporting a higher truth? Because that's what faith is. Isaiah 53.1 says, Who shall believe the report of the Lord, and to whom shall the power of God be revealed? That's good there. Isaiah 53.1, To whom... Let me read it. I paraphrased it that first time, but I want to get it word for word. Isaiah 53.1. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is an Old Testament phrase that literally means the power of God. So you could read it this way. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the power of God been revealed? You. So it's a... It's a uh, Rhetorical question that's being asked in Isaiah 53.1. Basically, who believes God's word and who receives the power of God? The same person. The person that believes the report of the Lord is the person that the power of God has revealed in their life. And this woman, this Shunammite woman, is telling Gehazi not the natural circumstance. She's not reporting the natural She's speaking by faith. It is well. It's well. Verse 27. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she called him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So just side note. Obviously, one of the anointing, one of the one of the how 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 do I best say this? One of the um, functions of the anointing of the prophet was that they could see things which were not told them. This is why before they were called prophets, First Samuel tells us, they were called seers, S-E-E-R-S, seers, literally seeing into the spirit world. So Elisha's saying, oh wow, God, God clothed this, veiled this from me because normally I could see what was happening in her life through the realm of the Spirit, by the anointing of the Spirit of God, but the Lord hid it. Verse 28, So she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Okay, so basically it's like, Hey, did I ask for the son? You the one said it to me, Elisha. Elisha catches the clue here. Verse 29, Then he says to Gehazi, Get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand. Be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. So verse 29, we're going we're gonna to dismiss being hospitable for just a moment because we're, we're going to get to this boy. <laughs> Go run to this boy and put my staff, which represents the power of God, put my staff on this boy. Verse 30, now this is what I was just mentioning, mentioning a few minutes ago that I didn't see in study. Verse 30, and the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. 
So he arose and followed her. Notice that. Verse 22, she tells her husband, I'm going to go see the man of God, and I'm coming back. Verse 30, she tells Elisha, I ain't leaving without you. So what does Elisha do? He leaves with her. Because, mm, come on, you got to get this. About to preach myself happy. (laughs) Glory. Because faith draws the power of God into your life. Faith is like, a, is like a pipe. It's like a hose pipe. That's what faith is. You just got to get your faith connected to God, a spigot. And when that spigot's turned on, that water flows through that hose pipe. And wherever that hose pipe is pointing, that's where the water is going to be released. That's what faith is. Faith is a conduit. It's a carrier. It's a receiving line for the power of God. And where you direct your faith, that's where the power of God's released in your life. It's just, we see that. You hear the gospel message and you believe. You put your faith in Jesus and that opens your heart and your mind up to the saving power of God. And it's the same way with all the promises of God. And we see here, this woman said to her husband, I'm going to get. The, I'm going to the man of God, and I will come back. Verse thirty. I'm not leaving without you. So Elisha leaves, because her faith. Verse thirty-one. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, "The child has not awakened." When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up, back up into that upper apartment, stretched himself out on him and the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. And she went in and fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, then she picked up her son and went out. The last thing I want you to see is this. That phrase there, and I, and I, I, I picked this up when I was studying Matthew chapter 6, reading, um, I'm, I'm re- working through Andrew Murray's book, with Christ in the School of Prayer. Excellent book. I think there's free PDF versions of it online. You can get copies of it anywhere. It's an excellent book. Been around for 100 plus years. If you've never read it, go read it. With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray. In fact, for those that are listening on YouTube, I'll put a link in the description to, uh, to our website where we sell that book. You can get it other places as well. You don't have to get it in mine, but if you want to order it there, you can. I'll put the link there to make it convenient. Notice this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 says this. Jesus is saying concerning prayer, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
Jesus is saying there's basically two ways you can pray. You can go out and make a public spectacle through your prayer because you want to be seen of men, and all you will get is that reward, being seen of men. People may say and say, you know, see you praying thing. Oh, Brother AJ, isn't he so holy? Oh, wow, man, he can just really pray the house down. I wish I could pray like him. Guess what? If I do that, if I go pray in public, go pray and make a show of it just so people can think I'm so wonderful and holy and great prayer, yada, 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 that's all the reward I will get. And what an empty reward. What an absolute lame reward. Or you can pray like Jesus says to pray. Go in the secret place. Go get before God. Some people are praying to be seen of men. What you need to do is pray to be seen of God. And when you pray to God in the closet, go into your room, go into your prayer closet, shut the door behind you, and pray to God. And he who hears you in secret, who sees you in secret, will reward you openly. The connection here when I was studying, when I was reading that chapter and with Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray, he, he's, he's teaching on that, the, the closet life, I think is what he calls it, Matthew 6, 5 and 6. Well, I noticed in my Bible a reference in Matthew 6, verse 6. It had a reference. And lo and behold, what did the cross-reference show me? 2 Kings, verse 4, verse 33. And Elisha went in there, forced, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Man, if you, I mean, it was like fireworks going off on a, on a Fourth of July when I saw that. I was like, my goodness, that's amazing. Elisha went into that room where that dead boy was, and he closed the door. And the next time that woman comes, now think about it. The woman brought her need her dead son, to the anointing, to the power of God, to the presence of God. In the Old Testament, it was the place where she built for the prophet. She goes and gets the man of God. Okay? She petitions. We're going to use a little bit of imagery here. She goes and gets the man of God. What is that? That's prayerful petition. Go to the Lord. Draw the power. Draw the anointing of God through request, through petition. That's, that's true revival prayer right there is, Lord, I'm coming to you because no one else can do what I need done. That's true intercessing, intercession and revival type prayer. Lord, you have to shake and stir up my church, my city, my nation, the church of my nation. Lord, you must bring your power and your anointing and shake us from the inside out. That's the type of prayers that will shake a city, a church, a nation. And I ain't leaving, like that Shunammite woman said, I ain't going unless you come with me. And Elisha comes. And then he comes to the room where the need is, the dead boy. And the next time that woman opens that door, the boy's alive. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Go into the secret place. Take your need before the Lord. Pray to God and He'll reward you openly so that when you come out of the prayer closet, you not only know that you've gotten what you've gotten, but everyone else can see what you've gotten. Think about it. The husband probably knew that her boy had died. The servants probably knew that boy had died. 
And when he comes back out, the boy's alive. And you do that by the spirit of faith. You, you got to have the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 tells us, because we have the spirit of faith, we believe, therefore we speak. And it quotes, it's Psalms 1, uh, is it 116, Psalms 116, where David said, you know, I thought I was, I had the, because I believed, therefore I spoke. Because I believe, therefore I spoke. And then Paul says, we too having the same spirit of faith, because we believe, therefore speak. Imagine the great faith that Shunammite woman had to have. It's all well. It is well. Don't worry, don't worry your little head about it, hubby. Don't worry about it, servant. Don't, hey, Gehazi, hey, everything's good. I just need to get to the power of God. I just need to get in the secret place. I just need the power and the anointing of God to hit and encounter my need. Why? Because when that happens, it's well. So I'm going to say by faith now what I'm believing, what will happen. It is well. It is well. I pray that you, the faithful, you go forth in the power and the might of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you declare by faith in your life, concerning your life, what God has called you to do, where God has placed you, it is well. When times look tough, when there's some tribulation and trial and persecution that Jesus told us would happen, you say by faith, it's well. When it seems like there's no way out, smile, lift up a hand to God and say, it is well. It is well. Speak it by faith. It is well. And guess what? When you seek God in the secret, He'll reward you in the open. He will reward you openly, and it truly will be well with you in Jesus' name. Hey, I'm so thankful for you listening and joining me today. If you're on the YouTube channel, make sure you subscribe. Don't miss any of the future uploads of the video podcast. If you're listening on a podcast channel, Apple, Spotify, leave a five-star review. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you've not checked out faithformygeneration.com, it's in the show notes. Go head over there, sign up for the email list. Haven't sent out an email yet, but we got some great things that are in production right now now. And I'm so excited. And I want you to be a part of it. Got some great things coming up. And so go ahead and get connected by via by connecting to the email list. Follow us on all the socials, the Insta, TikTok, YouTube. Thankful for you. And I know this, as you and I continue to be obedient to the Lord and submit and yield to Him and His Holy Spirit, it will be well with us because we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. God richly bless you.